0: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
1: This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day Savings, happening now at The Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done.
3: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb,
3: and my name is Julie Douglas.
2: You know, we're in the studio here. We just recorded an episode on yoga and uh, the benefits of yoga, the risks of yoga, a lot of the, the science that we find in yoga. And in that episode, we refer out to an additional episode, which we are recording now: uh, Yoga Sex Magic, because there is a there's a lot to be said about about sex and yoga, about the sensual side of yoga, the sexual benefits of yoga, and its roots in mysticism. And, uh, sensual experience.
3: And don't worry, we're not going to talk about Sting's sex life here, um, (laughs) because he has often talked about tantric yoga, right? Yeah. As being a part of, uh, his,
2: uh... Deal. Deal, yeah. Yeah. I
3: was going to say magic sauce, but that just doesn't sound right. Um, but we are going to talk about, I guess some people would say it's yoga's dirty little secret, but the fact of the matter is, is that it has its roots in tantric yoga which is associated with sexuality as you say and celebrating sexuality and uh and a lot of mysticism too
2: yeah so let's uh let's let's r- let's run back the clock here uh, let's uh let's discuss ancient history um so hinduism is the oldest of the dominant world religions today and arguably the most difficult to summarize okay the roots of Hinduism stretch back a good 5,000 years, uh, through the soil of human history. And that's, uh, soil that's r- just ripe with variations, uh, with, uh, with different important texts, uh, poetic epics, sex, uh, diversions, uh, gods, goddesses, religious rituals. It's just, there, there is an entire rich culture there, um, around Hinduism. And any attempts to Summarize it here would be incomplete. Uh,
3: It would be a podcast into itself.
2: Yeah. But uh, at at, at its very nature, what is it proposed to do? It aims to free the practitioner of Hinduism from something called the wheel of samsara. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've mentioned this before in terms of Buddhism. Uh, And, of course, there's a lot of crossover between Hinduism and Buddhism. Samsara is the endless cycle of death and rebirth that sees the the human... um, consciousness or soul flow and rise and fall through varieties of tragic, doomed, and ephemeral lives. It's the idea that it, it's not this sort of vague Western idea of, of reincarnation where it's like, oh, I'm not really going to die. I'm going to come back as a cat or something. That'll be great. And I'm not saying don't find some comfort in that thought. Mm-hmm. But uh, the idea of samsara is more that I'm going to continue to live lives that are ultimately going to be filled with pain uh in one way, shape, or another, even though even the loftier, more pleasant lives that I live are going to end in death and may end up shooting me down to a lower level of existence. So I might be uh uh and I'm borrowing more from the, uh, the some of the Tibetan Buddhist ideas here, but uh I might live life as a demigod in the next life and everything will be awesome, but I'll kind of be awful at the same time and earn myself a position in the lower hells in the life after that. So, the idea is that you want to eventually rid yourself of this wheel, you know? It's kind of like...
3: It's a karmic wheel, really.
2: Yeah, it's kind of... Think of it this way. It's like the the person who's in one bad relationship after the other and they desperately want to free themselves of that cycle and Mm -hmm. find a good relationship. That's kind of what we have here. And in that good relationship, that liberation from the wheel of samsara... Is what Hindus call moksha, which means release or liberation. So, this carnival ride sucks. I want to get off of it. That's what <laughs> that's what Hinduism is ultimately trying to do. Um, and we might not do it in this lifetime or the next, um, but we need a we need a game plan, right? So we get into something called trimarga, which is the three paths. So we have karma marga, the way of action; jnana marga, the way of knowledge; and uh, bhakti marga, the way of devotion. So this is where yoga gets in, involved here. Yoga means discipline uh, or regime or yoke, and, and it derives from the Sanskrit root for yoke.
3: Yoke, which also means union. Yoke. Yes. And we talked about this in the other podcast, this union between mind and body.
2: Yeah. the You know, Jesus sent our example again. Instead of a mind riding the body, this man riding the horse, it is the man horse. It is the body body. Uh, the, the body mind union.
3: And this is where that intermingling of sexuality and spirituality happens as well. This is the same sort of yoke. And this is where we're really sort of driving the path toward Tantra, right?
2: Right. So within Hinduism, the word yoga is often used interchangeably with Marga. It uh, involves far more than just poses. It it includes meditation, fasting, um, various aesthetic practices, ethical behavior, um, you know, intense study in, in some cases. And, um, and it's one of the six uh, schools of orthodox philosophy, and often just sort of a generic term for spiritual discipline. So uh, just culturally, when you look at yoga in the East versus yoga in the West, there's, there, there are a number of differences that, that arise. So let's talk a little about yoga in the past, because to really get into the tantra thing, we have to, again, get into examples of, of what is the, the yogi of uh, 300 years ago like versus the yogi, that you might yeah. find, uh, you know, in the San Francisco Bay Area.
3: Well, I mean, even like in the 1830s, um, Broad, William J. Broad, who wrote the Science of Yoga, brings up Ramakrishna, and uh, this was uh, one of Hinduism's, Hinduism's great modern saints. Um, there's this idea that he was always in such a constant state of ecstasy. And when we say ecstasy, we are sort of making a little. Uh, a hat tip here to orgasm as well mm-hmm. um, or at least a sense of transcendence um, well le petit mort as the French say um, which is a little death right transcendence
2: yeah. and, and again just to, to mention the body-mind connection and when we're talking about body and mind in a religious context you can think of it you know body and spirit and so something intense that happens in the body just by virtue of being intense has to have a connection to the spirit as well So it would seem obvious then that an orgasm would be of interest to someone seeking to understand the mind. And you think it's weird that we're saying
3: orgasm when we're talking about religion or just even meditating or being in a state of ecstasy Mm -hmm. without... um, some sort of, you know, slap and tickle involved. We'll, we're going to talk more about that.
2: <laughs> slap and tickle.
3: Yeah, you know. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later and, and connect it all. But, um, I did want to bring up Ramakrishna because apparently he was in such a constant state of bliss that he had assistance, uh, to tell him when to eat and breathe. Wow. Uh, so this is, this is intense stuff. There is this intermingling of these two concepts of sexuality and mysticism or, um, spirituality and in Hinduism is this is not unusual um, we, we usually think about our more Western religions and how these are mutually exclusive things but this is not in some Eastern religions um, and this is this idea too that the spiritual energy, uh, lies dormant at the base of the spine until it was activated and channeled upward to the brain to produce enlightenment.
2: Through the chakras, these uh, various uh, circles in the body mm-hmm. that um, uh, through which the energy flows.
3: Right. So this state of ecstasy turns out to be a state of enlightenment.
2: Yeah. So yogis in centuries past, uh, we, we mentioned this a little bit in the other podcast uh, about yoga, but um, they might be poly men who would legitimately give you a little more insight into the spirit. Create Uh,
3: merkins out of their beards. Yeah,
2: they might be mystic carnies who would bury themselves alive for money. They might contort their nude, ash-smeared bodies in the street. They might smoke dope and kidnap children. They might run protection rackets. And and, uh, some were capable of of supposedly uniting the uh, male and female aspects of the universe through sexual Mm -hmm. sensation. So they really kind of ran the gambit from really holy to really uh, skeezy. I mean, it... I mean, that's one of the things that Broad really does a great job of of pointing out is that yoga is, especially historically, so much broader than what you would encounter at the YMCA or the local yoga studio that it it runs the the gambit between, like, just total enlightenment and madness, between between physical uh, health and uh, debilitating or life-threatening injury. And, uh, and, I mean, it's just just, there's, there's a rich world there. And, uh, and, uh, and and out of that also uh, comes this, uh, this uh, subject of tantric yoga and, and tantra.
3: Yeah, and I wanted to bring up um, hatha yoga, which we all, if you practice yoga, um, this is a branch of tantric yoga. And we'll talk a little mm-hmm. bit more about tantric yoga in a second. Um, but uh, the tantric agenda, again, was reaching enlightenment as fast as you could. And uh, William J. Broad brings up the fact that there's a 15th century book called Hatha Yoga Pradipka. And it instructs and poses, but also uh, talks about stimulating genitals, right? Again, in this, this agenda to try to reach enlightenment. And one line from the book says, press the peri- uh, perineum. That's an erogenous area between uh, the genitals I and b- the b- anus, by the way.
2: Known as the, the taint in uh, some circles.
3: Press the taint with the heel of the foot. Mm-hmm. It opens the doors of liberation. So, I mean, these, this is a specific text telling people, you know, how to, to proceed in this path of enlightenment, which has to do with sexuality.
2: Yeah, and if i remember correctly, Hatha means violent, in, not in the sense that it is violent um, uh, yoga in that it's like, you know, karate chops and stuff, but more the, uh, about the speed and the intensity of getting there.
3: Right. This is a path to this enlightenment yeah. again.
2: So... Tantra. Um, Tantra. uh, Tell us about Tantra. This sexy side of yoga, but also the sexy roots of yoga. Um, It rises to prominence uh, within Hindu traditions in medieval India. This this is around the 5th century uh, common era. But uh, its mysterious roots may go back even uh, even farther into the the past, into the uh, practices and traditions of the Indus civilization, which would have been uh, uh, 3300 to 1300 B.C. So... um, the idea here is that the beliefs were present in, in this earlier culture, then they go underground for thousands of years, and then they evolve back up into uh, in, into practice um, in eastern and southern uh, India. And tantra is based on the Sanskrit word meaning that which extends knowledge. And uh, it's th- the stated purpose of tantra isn't, sexual bliss in and of itself or, but rather spiritual bliss and enlightenment and ultimately, uh, moksha that we were talking about early. Right. Ultimately, the idea is to, uh, find liberation from this endless wheel of suffering.
3: And um, here's the other thing about tantra is that it does not subscribe to the caste system. Right. So and, I, and
2: it was free then of the the Brahmin priests that were ruling over it. it was open to men right. and women. It's Muslim.
3: democratizing sexuality, but uh, also spirituality. So it had a lot of people who were very interested in being a part of it. Um, the the I guess you would say the problem, um, or as William J. Broad puts it, is that eventually. Uh, it becomes so associated with uh, with sex that it's sort of overshadowed by this, and and people begin to think of it as, okay, well, it's not just you know this spiritual awareness or enlightenment, but you know, a lot of people are getting kind of randy here.
2: Yeah. Now, and
3: and, and you know, squirreling away from the path.
2: Yeah. Now, now, why are they getting randy, or what is the the stated reason? Well, historically, you had. Uh, right-handed tantra and you had a left-handed tantra. And uh, and that doesn't have anything to do with uh, like right or left-handed being bad or one being dirty. That has to do with like the position of god and goddess mm-hmm. um, in a um, in typical iconography. But uh, right-handed go- uh, tantra was m- more traditional in, in terms of like worshipping uh, the goddess. Uh, whereas r- uh, left-handed tantra involved the ritual use of taboo items in Hinduism. Uh, specifically these five M's you had masma, which is meat, uh, natsya, I mean, matsya, uh, fish, mudra, uh, parched grain, which was seen as an aphrodisiac, uh, madya, which is wine, and then mathuna, ritual sexual intercourse. So, what you would have happen is you would have this the, this group of uh, individuals, and uh, and generally these are people that already have some exposure to, to yoga uh, or to yoga principles. So this is not just random people on the street. They come into a sacred space in the presence of, um, you know, some sort of a guru or an, or an adept. And it will be in on, on an auspicious day. You know, that's something that lines up uh, uh, you know, numerologically important uh, mm-hmm. in, uh, in the tradition. And you'll have male and female uh, participants uh, who were called uh, tantrikas uh, ritually bathe, dress, and generally, you know, doll up and purify through uh, meditation and uh, reciting mantras. And then they form into male and female couples. Then they uh, they consume these various things ritually: have a little meat, a little fish, a little mm-hmm. parched grain, a little wine. And then they will uh, they will uh, unite sexually. I was I saying, and say. then it
3: becomes a key party.
2: Well, no, I mean, <laughs> I mean that can certainly that can be the, the the charge. But it's not just like all right, we're done with the um, we're done with the meat and the fish. Let's let's get down to business. There's also a lot of con- the, the mantras continue mm-hmm. and the uh, the meditative aspects um, uh, continue. And uh, and the and in fact it's the pronunciation of the mantras uh supposedly turns the female partner into an embodiment of the goddess and the male becomes a an embodiment of, of the god. So on a mythic level, they're enacting the cosmological union of Shiva and Shotki of Deva and Devi, and uh, it, it takes on this larger cosmic uh proportion. And, and, again, it involves you know intense meditation, uh, intricate yogic uh, postures, the visualization of these yantras, which are kind of like a mandala that uh, represents divine female mm-hmm. energy, kind of this uh, um, geometric design that you envision in your head, um, and uh, the attempt to stay immobile and to facilitate mental processes in the prevention or delay of orgasm.
3: Well, and, and this is something we'll talk about a little bit, too, this delay of orgasm, which is also... Um extending the enlightenment period, right? This ecstasy. So this is, when I brought up Sting, I brought up this idea that you could do breath work, you could do meditation in order to um, to stave off the inevitable, yeah. so to speak, before you get the lapite mort.
2: Um, and they're generally talking not about, like imagine a race course with a start and a finish line, um, with the finish line being orgasm. The idea is not to slam on the brakes before you get to the orgasm, but to slow things down to the point to where you're...
3: In a continuous in, in a state continuous of state, ecstasy. Yeah, in
2: a continuous state of yeah, almost crossing the line. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, so here's the thing. In the West, Tantra really becomes synonymous with sexual debauchery. And this is where Broad, in his book, says Tantra reaches a nadir with um, a, an alleged cannibal sect of yogis, the Agori. Who, quote, ate the flesh of human skulls, drank urine and liquor from human souls, lived in cremation grounds and dunghills, and uh, defiled all so- social conventions, supposedly to court public disapproval as tests of humility.
2: And none of those things are wrong in and of themselves. But I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, it, the, the, I mean, there are oh, you could, you know, drinking urine. Drinking liquor, even drinking from human skulls. I mean, that's you see these things occur uh, in various traditions.
3: Well, the problem is, is that India in 1920 starts to realize that you know they have uh, a political agenda, right? They're, they they mm-hmm. want to become independent, um, they want to rise up, so they can't really have this whole like cannibalist yoga sect representing them because what's coming out of India, um, you know, one of the exports we see is this idea of yoga. Yeah. So it sort of gets this history of the sexuality particularly gets whitewashed because you have um, Indian nationalists like Gunang we talked about um, this is someone who really started to try to uh, research yoga in earnest in the 1920s and he began to distinguish hatha yoga from tantra sanitizing yoga's association with its roots in you tantra
2: know, but the, the interesting thing here is that y- you end up engaging in a duality of oh there's the good there's the good yoga and then there's the bad yoga it's like the here's the here's the 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 law-abiding yoga, and here's the rogue yoga. but um
3: and actually, when we talk about the rogue yoga too, we're talking about something called Kundalini. So when we talk about tantric yoga, or Tantra, mm-hmm. this is uh, one of the branches, Kundalini that is practiced today, although as far as I've never been to some sort of orgiastic class in it, I've just been we've talked about the metaphors of the snake and the energy cooling up through the spine.
2: yeah well, um it's it's interesting when you look into like why are they engaging? Uh, why would a, a tantric uh, Yoga practitioner, engage in the consumption of these five M's. And, you know, what does it all get down to aside from just this, you know, idea of, well, let's use sexual sensation, uh, a body sensation to, to, you know, channel the spirit? Um, It's this idea, too, that you have these things that are forbidden, that are taboo, right? So you're human. These temptations are going to be there. These things are there in your life. So you can either run from them um and try to deny them or you can take them and try to do something spiritually beneficial with them. Mm-hmm. So that's that's part of it, taking these negatives or potential negatives and spinning them into a spiritual positive. Then so there- you're
3: saying with within the Hindu tradition that, that not one thing is entirely good or bad. Everything, everyone contains both.
2: Yeah, because on one on one level, again, the direction of otherwise dangerous desires into acts of devotion. And then there's this idea too that it awakens participants to the non-duality of the world, okay? The idea, there's this important idea in Hinduism that the world is a single indivisible reality uh, known as Brahman. And to see it, uh, and to see the world as anything else than that, to see it as anything that's divided and composed of parts is illusion. And you want to see through that illusion and see that and glimpse and understand, experience the reality of Brahman. So if you see the world as, oh, lemonade's good and wine's bad... Uh, you know, or not, no sex is is great, and sex is bad and destructive. Then you are you're seeing a divided vision of the world, and you're not going to sing Brahman, and or then,
3: or even yoga yoke, right? The yeah. union of, yeah, of these it's about, two aspects. It's about
2: union; it's not about division. So uh, I, I find that that very fascinating.
3: No, I think it's a, it's a wonderful context to talk about this. Um, we should take a break. Uh, when we get back, we're going to get down to the science of sex and yoga Mm -hmm. uh, or as i like to call it the yoga beast with two backs
2: yes so um go into pigeon pose listen to this message and when we get back we'll continue shout out to astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples
1: rob as the uh, the local host with allergies here they sent you some of their nasal spray And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
4: Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
5: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
2: All right, we're back. You can come out of Pigeon and uh, go back into Child's Pose. So let's uh, let's continue. We've, we've covered a lot of ground already talking about uh, the um, the the roots of, uh, of yoga, the, the basics of Hinduism, uh, Tantra, the five M's, why you should do them, um, what spiritual good they can do in the long run.
3: Yeah, I wanted to talk about Kundalini for a second because we talked about this, we talked about Tantra, its role in Tantra, mm-hmm. this idea of the snake coiling at the base of the spine, this energy that rises up. Um, and, and actually, Kundalini um, is Sanskrit for coiled or she who is coiled. And it really is a metaphor of rebirth because of its, the snake's ability to, to shed its own skin, right? And it has a high status in, in Hinduism. Um, but I wanted to mention that Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung was really intrigued by Kundalini. And he wrote of a 25 year old woman whose symptoms included a wave of physical turmoil that rose from her her perineum. Uh, Mm -hmm. What'd you call it? The taint? Taint. Uh, to her uterus, to uh, her bladder, and then eventually to the crown of her head. Okay, this is classic Kundalini imagery right here. And so he found it really curious that instead of her fearing um, what was happening, these physical man- manifestations, uh, she actually really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And he came to understand it, though, in terms of, of an induced psychotic state. He thought of it as, as a very destructive force. And, in fact, if you ever pick up um, or thumb through his book called the red book which is a bunch of illustrations by him Mm -hmm. uh, but of his dreams you'll see the snake in there as this sort of destroyer or this this menacing um, symbolism in his own dreams but I wanted to bring that up because it's so close to what we've talked about before and it's this idea of thinking off Um, We've discussed this in the Female Orgasm Podcast, I believe it was called, The Orgasm Wars. Yes. And um, we talked about this woman named Barbara Corellis who claimed to have trained herself to climax on demand, okay, without any sort of stimulation. And uh, she's been thinking herself off for a number of years, and she actually demonstrated her ability to do this when she went into an MRI, and then she came to climax several times while researchers at Rutgers University studied her brain patterns, and they saw, indeed, that it was matching the the types of brain patterns that you see in in orgasms, people who actually have had sex with each other and undergo MRI at the same time. Seems a little awkward, but... (laughs) um, So I bring this up because William J. Broad also talks about thinking off, but he also talks about this idea that... um, the same thing is sometimes happening in yoga practitioners' brains, particularly when they're meditating.
2: And meditation and yoga, of course, go hand in hand.
3: Yeah, and he, he talks about the Ananda Marga sect, which was studied by James C. Corby. Um, this is a sect of um, yoga practitioners, and uh, they underwent this, this study at Stanford University, and he had a control group of non-practitioners all mm-hmm. meditate, and then he had the Ananda Marga sect. Uh, also meditating and just so you know Ananda Marga totally hardcore we're talking about three and a half hour long meditation sessions daily uh, very rigorous so what happened is that they had the both of the groups they had them um, relax for 20 minutes and then they had them uh, give some attention to their breathing for 20 minutes and then 20 minutes uh, just for straight up meditation so the cool thing about this is that the control group they show all sorts of signs of your classic relaxation, right? For instance, their blood pressure drops. But our friends over here, the um, our, our yogis, are all sorts of crazy things are happening with them. They're breathing really rapidly. They begin to sweat. What they're seeing, the researchers realize, is this autonomous arousal. Very much the same sort of thing that you would see with someone who was approaching an orgasm. In fact, one of the participants had a heartbeat of 120 beats per minute, which, uh, Broad says is very similar to frenzied lovers. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. So there is an idea that through, um, through meditation, but also through yoga, like, uh, poses like Cobra, uh, in which your pelvic region is on the floor, you, you place a lot of pressure there. That this is stimulating certain hormones in the body, and you begin to get this benefit of, um, I guess you could say, I don't, I don't want to say a love cocktail of hormones surging through your body. But there, there's direct evidence that this can actually increase uh, your libido.
2: And there, I mean, and there are certain poses too, right, that have mm-hmm. uh, that have been shown to uh, have a more of a link. To um to the to the sexual side of yoga. Right.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean uh, cobra, as I said, uh bow pose is another one. And what now,
2: now cobra for those that don't know, this is one where it's like you're you're lying on your stomach. Yeah. And you get your, your hands to the side here, and then you sort of the, the front of you, your your torso sort of rises up like a snake.
3: Yeah, your hands on your sides and they're pushing your, your upper torso up. And yeah. so you are putting a lot of pressure in your pelvic region. Um, but what they're also finding is that one of the hormones that is ticking up quite a bit is testosterone and uh, if in men and women and in mm-hmm. fact, in one study, they saw a woman's testosterone uh, go up by fifty five percent. And this is incredible because heretofore they had decided that yoga was lowering men's testosterone level. And this was based on a, a study in which it wasn't um, yoga that was lowering the testosterone level. It was this vegetarian diet that the practitioners were on at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had a bunch of soy in their diet and that was lowering the, lowering the testosterone. So that's sort of a myth that brought a bust here and says, no, like this testosterone can actually increase your libido as well for both men and women. So I also wanted to mention, too, that that Broad says there's a clinical study of more than 100 men and women who self-report their sex lives before and after they undertook yoga in the study. And across the board, they all reported increased arousal, better orgasms, and more overall satisfaction. So one of the things I do want to point out uh, that Broad points out is that when they are conducting these um, these studies and this research, they are... They're very aware of creating really good solid studies, um, at least now in trying to study this in earnest. And what I mean by that is that they're, they're looking at all the different ways in which people practice yoga and their habits. And kind of, just like any sort of study, you want to get a, a good rate of participation from people who are healthy, who, um, you know, are, are not, you know, 24-7 yoga practitioners so that they sway the results. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're trying to get this idea, this baseline of like, okay, if average Joe walks into a yoga class, what does that mean in terms of average Joe's or average Jill's uh sexual proclivity um, down the road? And so this is really interesting data that's coming from this. And then he does admit that there's not a ton of it. Again, there's not people who have said, oh, hey, we can solve this whole yeah. uh, Viagra thing with just doing yoga. You know, yeah. I mean, that's not the claim that he's saying, but he is pointing to a body of mounting evidence that, Yoga very well could be um, a sort of nature's Viagra. Hmm.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own? Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
4: Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers
2: uh, I, I also found it interesting. Uh, in, in his book, uh, William J. Broad goes into the uh, uh, the sexual aspects of yoga by discussing uh, various sex scandals that have arisen uh, with oh, yeah. with yoga gurus. And the main ones he was talking about are are, are some of the uh, the earlier U.S. dudes who had large followings. Generally, we're talking like guys in their 50s, 60s, sixty s, and uh, and suddenly there are all these charges that they have. Uh, uh, behaved inappropriately with uh, young women, or even not so young women under their charge.
3: Well, and Broad's point is like 50s, 60s. I mean, yeah, okay. First of all, there's there's this whole other issue of of power structure and taking advantage of someone. Yeah. But and also, like 50s, 60s, these dudes aren't taking Viagra. Like, there's <laughs> there's a certain vitality here that he's saying that plays into um, you know practicing yoga.
2: Yeah. And and you do see. I mean, actually, there there have been recent scandals involving yoga gurus as well. But uh, uh, you 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 can't look at it just as uh, yoga is this sexualizing thing and it just turns men into uh, monsters. Well, uh, there
3: have been some female gurus yeah, too yeah. that um, there have been charges against who say that they are um, taking advantage of their position in order to to, to gain lovers and uh, sexual encounters. But I mean, even but that's mo- what
2: that's what people that's what especially men uh, do. I mean. It's, it's like the President Clinton thing uh, all over again. You put a man in a position of power and you put these you know imp- impressionable young women in his charge, especially if you have a mystic uh, aspect uh, there, which is uh, largely unavoidable in a, in a yoga setting.
3: Well, I think the problem is when your guru is saying that, you know, you should practice abstinence is not doing the same. Yeah. So that's that's really what the issue is here. Yes, yeah. People will say, well, you know, that's that's horribly hypocritical of you but i mean even the maharishi john lennon said that um the rosemary's baby uh, mia faro uh-huh. that he had tried to molest her and so they actually that was one of the reasons why they they broke away from the maharishi huh. because they were like dude you're full of it
2: <laughs> and being full of it is is very again very in touch with the some of the roots of yoga because uh, uh, as we discussed in the other podcast you go you go back uh in, in time and, and look at uh, look at the the roots of yoga, and you you find a lot of uh, a fair amount of deception of, uh, of charlatanism at times. I mean, yeah. outrageous claims that that yoga can make you live forever, that can, it can defeat evil, it can cure diseases, things that simply aren't so within the uh, the confines of scientific reality.
3: What I think is interesting, though, is this this again when I say this mounting evidence, this data that that yoga can inform. A person's um, sexual identity, even like mm-hmm. there, there are some claims of um, neo tantrics that Broad talks about. This idea that people may begin to have an alternative sexuality, where so thinking of like off a, becomes huh. the norm.
2: So it becomes kind of like an asexuality that is um, that is inward looking. I mean, oh, it's not it's even just, an asexuality; I mean, it, it's, it's just mental masturbation, yeah. really.
3: Huh. Uh, to I mean, that's that's really sort of taking it down to a notch that it probably doesn't deserve but that's or maybe it does but that's sort of what we're talking about here a, a certain asexuality Like, guess like
2: more like a, a psycho masturbation really like think of it in terms of like not psycho <laughs> no, but
3: no, psycho no. yeah yeah
2: so yeah <laughs> there you have it there's a nice uh, little intro into the um, into the the sexual magical past. Of, uh, cannibalistic, of yoga cannibalistic, yoga past. Now, if you're if you're sitting there, you're wondering, you're like, "Whoa! I tuned, t- turned into this uh, episode that was going to have tantra, in it, and you didn't give me a single um, tip for tantric sex." Um,
3: we're not going to do that.
2: We're not going to do it. But you are in luck because if you go to How Stuff Works and you type in tantra or tantric mm-hmm. into the search bar, you will find uh, a Discovery Health article uh, written by um, the staff at Discovery Health that goes into some of the um, uh, specific specifics, very uh, specific very specific of modern tantric uh, recommendations like mm-hmm. they're not really telling you like how what order to eat your fish and meat and wine or any of that right but uh, but some some recommendations and they I talk
3: don't... about the slap and tickle and <laughs> one of them at least yeah. the definition well, of well some tantric. of the
2: things they talk about are very um, sort of straightforward kind of more you know like they're some of the tips are, are, are based in like bring some eroticism into your into your sex life or
3: light a candle,
2: look into her eyes, that kind of thing. And where you're kind of like that doesn't really seem all that mystical. That's just kind of, but I mean, to some people, that's new information. No, so, but there there yeah. is
3: one that I, I believe it's the Discovery Health. Uh, if I think if you put tantra in there, it will. It actually talks about the mechanics of it. Okay, and yeah. when uh, we are talking about. Um, Drawing out the ecstasy part of it. That's, yeah, that and it gets into on. it
2: gets into breathing, and it gets into the, this idea again. Yoga means yoke and union, and uh, and so when you you take these yoga uh, these, these, these these yoga principles into the bedroom, you're you're dealing with a situation of of people coming together, being aware of their their own breaths and wh- and their own bodies and what they're doing, uh, and then using that information to slow things down as they approach the. The precipice of uh, of of orgasm.
3: The jouissance.
2: That's that the little death.
3: A so. uh, little death. Jouissance is ecstasy too.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah.
3: I don't know. just being French fancy.
2: Yeah. So uh, so look that up if you want some more information on that. Um, if you want to know more about the science of yoga, check and our and also if you want to hear more just about Julie and I's. Uh, thoughts on yoga, and, our, and, and, and I'll check out the other uh, episode that we did called The Science of Down Dog. Uh, check out the book, The Science of Yoga, by William J. Broad. It's excellent. We can't recommend that highly enough. And if you want to know a little more about Hindu tradition, there's a great book by Mark W. Muse, that's M-U-E-S-S-E, called The Hindu Traditions, A Concise Introduction. And it's just a really good, like, well-laying out, uh, illustrated guide to generally what Hindu uh, ritual consists of Uh, it's a great book I highly recommend that as well so uh, let's uh, call the robot over here Alright, a uh, listener by the name of Peter writes in and says, hello Robert and Julie was just listening to your podcast about life in microgravity. One thing that got me thinking um, was the off-topic comment about sourdough. How did we end up talking about sourdough we microgravity? Talked,
3: we talked about how people living off Earth would only visit us when they needed to come back and get genetic material and that we would be like the sourdough bread in San Francisco um, that provides the the mother dough for sour bro- sourdough bread.
2: Okay. Okay. That was Um, the analogy, at least. Well, Peter goes on and says, A sourdough mother can be simply created by mixing flour and water in a bowl and letting natural yeasts in the atmosphere start the fermentation. As this can take a while, most breadmasters keep the original pot alive by simply adding more flour and water to the bowl once they have removed enough for the current batch of bread. Enjoying listening to your podcast as I am having to lie flat with my eyes pointed at the floor to aid my detached retina to recover. Share and enjoy. Peter, uh, who's in uh, Plymouth, UK?
3: Yeah, I feel like I saw an article on some sort of service, like if you can't um, soup up your bread or feed it, someone will for you. I don't...
2: Like they'll babysit your mother?
3: Yeah, mother mother bread.
2: All right, we also heard from Zach. Zach writes in and says, Hi, I just finished listening to your planetary internet episode and had some thoughts on the speed of light delay, specifically in sci-fi. In the majority of sci fi I have watched or read, uh that deals with interstellar travel, uh neglects interstellar communications in that they are either not a major uh plot point or are magically instantaneous. Uh example Ender's game and uh and then he goes on to say, one series where this is addressed, however, is Dune. In the Dune universe, a large number of communications are carried out by actual physical messengers riding on starships and delivering the message directly. These were the best examples of communication sci-fi that I could think up. Think of, of, thanks for the great podcast. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's. I'd forgotten about that detail from the Dune universe, but uh, they didn't have the means uh, to actually send the data, but Mm -hmm. they had the means to send the ships, so they just include an actual courier uh, on board. Uh, We also heard from listener Jim. Jim writes in and says, uh, and he's referring to the Zero-G episode, Microgravity, and uh, talking about movies with Zero-G in space. He says, Robert and Julie, you mentioned that 2001 was the only space movie that you knew of that maintained Zero-G. I thought of three more. 2010, a sequel to 2001. Well, it's kind of obvious now, I guess had zero-g as well, but there are some scenes where it's not quite obvious uh, whether you're in part of the ship that's zero-g or using rotational gravity. Apollo 13 had zero-g for uh, historical uh, reasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, They built a set on the Vomit Comet and filmed several scenes in actual zero-g. I heard the stars say that they spent a lot of time on the ends of uh, the booms being moved around to simulate visual uh, zero-g drift. In close-ups, they just sway back and forth. So, yeah, I kind of forgot about Apollo 13 since it's so uh, historically based. Mission to Mars uh, maintains zero-g as well. They even fluff out the female star's hair as it would happen in zero-g. And I legitimately forgot about that one. And then he goes on to say, I'm guessing uh, studios avoid zero-g because it has to be very expensive and complicated to film it convincingly, assuming artificial gravity has got to solve a lot of logistical problems. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, there's uh, there are a few there that I had forgotten about.
3: Yeah, that's just made me realize how surreal it must be to be an actor sometimes. Like, okay, I'm going to deliver my lines if I'm going to sway back and forth, just very slightly.
2: In front of a green screen. In front of a green screen. Talking to a puppet that's not a puppet that'll be added C- with CGI later, but right now it's just a stick with the word alien written on it.
3: Yeah, that I have to, in my mind, imagine this monster with vagina dentata coming at me.
2: <laughs> you know, I actually rewatched part of uh, 2001 a Space Odyssey um, last week, and it's kind of heartbreaking because on one level this is not this is a vision of the 21st century but it's not the 21st century that actually happened mm-hmm. I mean, and it's it's beautiful and stunning and uh, and then the other side is we don't actually make movies like this in the 21st century either yeah so I, I was kind of torn as to, as to which was sadder like the scenes with the monkeys in 2001 those are the best best scenes I've seen in, in cinema that features monkeys. Like and I'm counting real monkeys. Like it's better than uh, you know, than, than any uh, film with Clint Eastwood or you know, anything that it featured actual acting chimps, better than that. Better than anything I've seen with CGI monkeys and they're the best monkey costumes ever employed in a motion picture. Like those scenes are just fabulous. They're perfect. And uh, and just I mean just the visual panache of that, that film is just uh, just wondrous.
3: It is. It is. I'm sorry. It is. It is. You uh, just brought up the Clint Eastwood, and now I'm imagining him in a truck going down the highway with yeah. his, his uh, friend, the issues,
2: monkey. They should have just used one of those suits. I mean, it just... Uh, I could go on and on. Yeah, anyway.
3: actually, there was some really good Facebook discussion on this topic. So. Yeah,
2: yeah, I brought it up on Facebook yesterday. And, uh, anyway, if you haven't seen 2001, uh, do yourself a favor, uh, because it's great. Uh, anyway, with, at this that point, we should probably... Um, move on and close out this podcast. I
3: know, and I I just want to say namaste.
2: Namaste, yeah. Yeah. Um, But we do have to keep talking, though. Yeah, I know. We also have to point out that, hey, you can get in touch with us. You can join in on Facebook conversations with us about um, how awesome 2001 is or, or what kind of yoga you prefer uh, you can find us on Facebook where we are stuff to blow your mind you can find us on Twitter where we are blow the mind and and definitely uh, we would love to hear from any of you guys that are yoga practitioners uh, let us know what effect it's had on your life um, if you are not a yoga practitioner uh, and you're trying it out or or you're, you're new to it or you're interested in giving it a go uh, we'd love to hear from you about that topic as well
3: yeah and I also would love to know if anybody's ever had any like huge breakthroughs revelations or even like a uh some you know sort of surreal thoughts in shavasana like, at the end when they're resting because uh, that's a great fertile time for for the mind. So I, I
2: have shavasana visions um, fairly regularly. I forget there's a, there's actually a, a term for it uh, for those visions, but I can't remember what they are.
3: Yes, yeah, very cool stuff. So yeah. uh, it kind of reminds me of lucid dreaming in a way. Um, you can also send us your thoughts via email, and you can do that at discovery dot com.